Uh, John chapter 7, please. John chapter 7. Uh, I've been spending some time with the Lord. It's good that pastors spend time with the Lord. Um, that's probably the most important thing we could do uh, so that we're not just talking, but so that we're speaking forth as he desires us to speak. And so I, I, on Monday morning, early in the morning, God started to talk to me about something, and then he continued it Monday afternoon, and then he continued it Tuesday morning, and then Tuesday night, and then this morning, and then this afternoon. So since Monday morning, he's been talking to me about this. And uh, I, I wanted to, I'm, it's kind of like, I was going to make it a 15-minute announcement and then just um, kind of preach about something else, but I felt the Lord say, no, I want you just to talk about, don't make it an announcement, just make it a sermon, but the announcement will come within the sermon, okay? Amen. We're moving to Hawaii. I don't, that, 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 that's where we're going. That's where we're aiming for, and uh, praise the Lord. Reverend Greg is taking over the church, so don't cry. Don't cry, just with tears of joy. Amen. Okay. All right. Uh, Luke, what did I say, Taylor? Stop interrupting me, Taylor. What did I say? John 7. Are you sure, brother? Did I really say that? I don't think I did. John chapter 7. Can you turn there, please? And let's have a look. Uh, let's go down to verse 30. Uh, let's go down to verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast. Now, there's a, there's a whole lot. I, can, I, found a, I found an old sermon that I haven't preached in a long time. It's called the Water uh, Drawing Celebration. And it's a fascinating, fascinating study. It really is a fascinating study about what this verse is talking about, about what Isaiah 12, 3, where it says, you shall draw up with joy out of the waters of salvation. That's referring to this right here, the feast and understanding what the Jews did in this feast. And then, it's interesting enough just to know what they did, but then to look through it through the eyes of the cross and understand its symbolism for the life of a born-again believer make your hair stand on end. Uh, and I probably will maybe share a little bit about that on Sunday because I think it's just too good to not share. It's just too wonderful to not share. But I, I can't, that's not the purpose of this evening. So I'm I just going to skip over all that interesting, wonderful stuff and just get to the meat of what the Lord said to talk about, okay? So John chapter 7 and verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, now this is the Feast of Tabernacles, the last feast of the Jewish year, and it was the last day of the feast, and the last day was the most celebratory day, it was the most chaotic day. Uh, the sages would say, you've never experienced joy if you haven't experienced the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. I mean, it was the most outpouring of joy of the entire year. So there are people everywhere. All of Israel gathers in Jerusalem. There are people everywhere and celebrating, and I, I won't get into all what they did on that feast, but they would draw water and they'd pour it out. They'd go to the pool of Siloam, basically, and draw water and then celebrate. And they'd go all night until the sun rose in the morning. And they'd have these big torches that were so bright, it would light up the whole city. Everybody's house could be lit by the torches in the temple courtyard. They were so bright and so tall. And it was just like an all-night party, literally. It was like an all-night party every night. But the last night was the blowout night. Okay, and what they were doing is drawing water just as a 30-second thing. It's a lot more to explain, but they would draw water and pour it on the altar, and they were basically worshiping God by saying we're drawing water out of the well of our salvation, which was the pool of Siloam, which was like the water source of the city. But really, what it all symbolizes is Jesus is our pool. Amen. And Jesus, they were doing the natural thing, which they'd been doing for 700 years since David took the city. 
And, uh, and so they were worshiping God for the, for the life of the water in the natural, on a natural altar. But Jesus is looking past them, past the cross, and into the New Testament, the, the church age. Because we draw water out of not a natural well, but out of our spirits. Because he's in our spirits and he allows us to have life. And that water comes up as a praise to God, not on a natural altar, but out of our hearts in worship. And it's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, if you study it, it's an amazing symbolism, what, what that means in our life. But I just want you to understand, there's a water ceremony going on here, and, and it's basically drawing out water, putting it on the altar, worshiping God, and Jesus is trying to get over to the people. You're doing all this stuff, and it's fine, but I'm the actual one that you're celebrating. You don't know it yet, but one day in the future, they're going to realize all of this stuff was all about me. All of your drawing out is going to be because you're going to draw up out of your spirit. All of this worship to God on the altar is going to be because when, when you drop out of your spirit and you get your answers, you get your healing, you get your deliverance, you're going to lift up your hands and worship God and not put it just on an altar, but your heart is the altar that's going to be worshiping God. So, this, so Jesus is knowing and understanding what this ceremony really means, and he's the only one that understands it. So that is why he cries out with this incredible passion what we're about to read here. And it says in verse 37, and on the last day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried. And it literally means to shriek, to exclaim, or to scream like a raven. Wow. You know, like a raven makes that, have you ever heard of raven? It's really a loud croaking, like every, it gets all the other birds' attention. That's basically what it's saying. When a raven croaks, all the other birds know it. And when Jesus was talking, everybody was listening because he screamed it. It wasn't just like, well, a few of you, when you're ready, you know, I'm going to got something to say. I mean, he bellowed and hollered. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Jesus was loud. Jesse Duplantis said when he saw him in heaven and he took that stage, remember <laughs> Jenny? And he said, Jesus ain't no mild teacher. He said, he is a preacher. And he started screaming. I'm going to go get your brothers. I'm going to go get your sisters. I'm going to go get them and get them saved. I'm going to bring them back here with me. Um, he was, and the crowd, he said, there was untold millions of people. I don't know, our minds can't fathom a stadium holding millions of people, but he said those stadiums hold millions of people. And he said, and the crowd freaked out. Everybody's screaming and dancing, and Jesus is on the stage preaching. I mean, you, go, you guys don't know what's coming. You better, you can't handle me, you ain't going to handle Jesus. So you better, you better learn to handle a bit of preaching here, okay? Because Jesus is the best preacher that's ever lived. Amen. And when he is, he is shrieking, hollering, uh, yelling aloud, sh uh, screaming, literally, is what the Greek word means. He screamed aloud, and what did he say? If any man thirst, remember they're, talking, they're doing the water ceremony. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Not take it from the pool of Siloam and put it on the altar. Let him come to me. And now this was heretical statements. And, they, and if you study, if you read later, which we won't, but they took, the, the, they're, they're arguing with each other as to why didn't they arrest him. And they want to kill him because these are heretical statements to say, drink of me. What he's basically saying is I'm the source. Not the pool of Siloam. I'm the source. <laughs> and that is not, you don't talk to the Pharisees that way. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, he's quoting the Old Testament, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now we know Proverbs, it says, the spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. So we know your spirit is not here. We say Jesus comes into our heart. That's not really an accurate statement. That's the way we were taught. 
but that's not really accurate. Jesus doesn't come into your heart. He comes into your spirit, and your spirit is in your belly. Praise God. So he's saying here, uh, out of your belly will flow rivers. Let it come. He that believes in me, the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But he spoke, but this he spoke of the spirit. The spirit is the living water which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And then it goes on about how they argued about who was, if he was right or not right, and, you know, all this kind of stuff. We won't get into that. That's not the point of the message. Yeah. But, but the, Lord, the Lord gave me this at 5.30 Monday morning. He gave me the scripture. And he said, I want, you to, I want you to read this on Wednesday night, and I want you to Talking so over the number of that day, the next day, he started giving me more. And basically, it's very simple. This is very simplistic. Anybody, a child, could understand this tonight. But Jesus is basically saying, if you come to him, he's going to give you living water by the Holy Ghost to flow out of your belly. What really he's saying in our church age vernacular is, if you come to Jesus, you'll have the flow of the Spirit in your life. You'll have the flow of the Spirit. Okay, if you come to him, you'll have the flow of the Spirit. And this is not just talking, obviously, it is talking about the born-again experience. Because when you come to him, the Holy Ghost comes in you, and you have that, you have that born-again, the life of God starts to flow out of you. Yes, it's talking about the born-again experience. But most people, if you ask them about this verse, Pastor Happy, uh, and say, what does this mean? They'll say, well, that was happened when I was born again. Most Christians will say, that's what happened when I was born again, and they'll end the statement, they'll end the sentence there with a full stop. And what they don't realize is this is not just talking about the born-again experience. This is talking about the born-again experience, but it's not limited to the born-again experience. And the Lord said to me, uh, I still want people to come to me so they can have the moving of the Spirit in their life. That's what he said to me. I still want my people, that's how he said it, my people, to come to me. My people means you've already been born again. So you already had the Holy Ghost. You've already got the Holy Ghost inside and water's already flowing. But he said, I still want my people who are born again, who already got this experience, to keep coming to me. So that you can keep having a flow of the Spirit in your life. And I said, okay, Lord. I said, "Where where are you going with this statement? Where are you going with this? I don't know where you're going with this. That's, that, I know that's, that's obvious. I'm not doing to be rude, but that's obvious. I, don't, I know you want people to come to you, but what, where are you going with this? And so in that first section of time when he was talking to me, he said, he said, I want you to tell your congregation that not all of them are coming to me. They're not coming to me at home. And some of them aren't even coming to me in my house. They live their life. This is encouraging, but it's a little bit rescuing and corrective at the same time. They live their life, Reverend Greg, and they don't even think about God half the time except when they're in church. Or they might do five minutes in the morning or five minutes in the evening, or, you know, they they have some kind of thing playing in the car, and then they hear 10 minutes on the way to work or something, and they think that they've done their spiritual duty for the day. And uh, I don't think most of our congregation are like that, but evidently some are, because otherwise the Lord wouldn't have said that to me. He said, some of your, I want you to tell your congregation that I, I want them to come to me so they can have the flow of the Spirit in their life. Yeah. Not just one time, but every day. Yeah. And he was referring to the private prayer life at home, but also the corporate uh, celebration life, the corporate spiritual life in the church house. Yes, sir. And he said, so not all even do this at home. Many do come, but some won't even come because of all the excuses of COVID. I said, Lord... You've already talked about this. 
You've already talked about this April 28th. The Spirit fell on me. We were in lockdown still. I remember I, the pulpit was here. I was staring at the camera. The Holy, I felt the Holy Ghost. The anointing was there the whole time, but I felt Him fall on me in a tangible way. And, and that's when I that read that verse, and I think it's chapter 4, verse whatever it is, and He blowed the trumpet, and He said, Gather unto me, all you that are separated on the wall. Gather, and I heard the Holy Ghost say, Tell them if they don't gather, it's dangerous for them. Yes. Because there's, they're isolated spiritually, and they're not under... Some people think, Well, you're my pastor, so I'm still under you. No, you're not. If you don't come, you're not really under me. If you think you can watch and get the same benefit as people that are in the room, you can't. Because God engineered this to require your presence. And some people think that all the safety measures are intact because they're saved and because I'm their pastor and because they tithe and because they watch at home. And for a season of mercy, that is true. But you can't keep doing that forever because that does, displeases God and it's anti-scripture. So the Holy Ghost is not going to lead you anti the Bible because that's, that's not possible. So if you think God's telling you to stay home when the Holy Ghost is telling through the Word of God something different, now I'm preaching to the choir because you're all here, but he, he, I'm saying this to reinforce, but I'm also saying this for some of the folks at home, okay? So he said, tell them because some of them aren't coming to me for this continued flow of life out of their spirit at home, meaning the prayer life, or even in my house, meaning the corporate life. I said, Lord, you've already said this. You've already said this on April 28th with Nehemiah. And I said, you said this on June 16th when I was in my living room during lockdown. And, the, and I was just saying, thank you for praying for me. I started by saying, just saying, thank you for praying for me when I went to California. Because I was around the one that has a supply for my life, Romans 1.11. I long to see you that I may impart a gift that you may be established. And I felt the Holy Ghost follow me the same way that he did on April 28th on this Wednesday night behind this pulpit. I felt him, the anointing was there, but I felt him fall on me. And if you know, if you remember that June 16th Wednesday night, I just went off. I never even got to, I never even got to my sermon. I don't even remember what my sermon was, Happy. It probably wasn't very good. I don't think, I didn't say one thing to do with the sermon. It was just a bang, 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 about God wants you to, God, this, this, we've become lazy as a church. I don't just mean promise of life. I mean the church. We've become lazy as a church. COVID has made us lazy. It's made us soft. And I say that because Pastor Nancy told me to write to my face directly, word I, it's not, not a rumor. She said to me, write to my face. She said, every single FOF church is going through what you're going through. Every single pastor, and at one point, her church is out of it now, but at one point, her church was going through the same thing. She said, our own people who I've trained, who I've taught for 25 years, they got lazy. They got afraid. It's easier to stay in their pajamas and look at the television and look at the, the screen. They got lazy. It's human nature to get lazy. So the church at large, not just our church, COVID has made you lazy. Some of you more than others. But there's a tendency to fall back to what's easy instead of making a sacrifice for God. Because we didn't do that before COVID, but you see, you get out of a rhythm. You know, you take a hot cup of coffee and remove it from the heat source. It doesn't take very long for it to become warm. And Jesus said, if you're not hot, you disgust me. When you spit something out of your mouth, it means that it disgusts you. You're hot or you're cold. But if you're lukewarm, if you just look like you're religious and you're kind of half-hearted and you're doing some, but you're not doing others, you disgust me. That's what Jesus is saying. You got to stay close to the heat source. Are you listening? That's close to Jesus at home, in your prayer life, where nobody's watching and where nobody's keeping tabs. And it's your heart staying to the source of the uh, corporate anointing and the office and the local church. Why? Not just because you need the office. You need the office. Not just because you need your brothers and sisters. You need your brothers and sisters. But it's about honoring the spiritual body of Christ. Yes. 
He's the head. We're the body. His physical body is, the, is what was broken that we take communion to honor. And he lives in heaven. But the spiritual body is you and you and you and you. You can't honor them if you don't see them. You can't honor them if you don't do ministry of helps to serve them. You can't. You can't. So there is a... <laughs> anyway, praise God. So he just said to me, uh, I want you to tell them they're not really... Some of them, not all, majority are fine, but some of them are not coming to me regularly for that life of the Spirit in their life, both privately or corporately. They're staying home corporately, but they're also not even praying privately. So listen, there could be people at home that don't come, but they're faithful to pray. So they fit into one category, but not the other. Then there could be people that come faithfully, but you don't have a prayer life at home. So you fit into one category, but not the other category. And then there could be some people that unfortunately fit into both categories. They don't show up in person and they don't pray at home. But that is not pleasing to the Lord. Because I know this is simple, but this is what he said. He's been dealing with me for three days about it. So I'm unmistakable. I know exactly the mandate. I can't talk about anything else. I wanted to talk about all that water drawing ceremony because it's so interesting. And the Lord said, you're going to get off. You're going to take all your time on that. I want you to focus on what I've been dealing with you about. So he's been saying to me, uh, I said, I cried out. I made a big deal. I made sure that everybody heard me. Come unto me if you're thirsty. Did you notice the qualification there? If any man thirst, you got to be thirsty. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. The life, the moving of the spirit, the flow of the Holy Ghost in the life of the believer. But you got to thirst for it or you're not going to have it. You have to thirst for Jesus to get saved, but you got to keep thirsting for Jesus after you're saved. It's got to be a continued flow. And he said, some, Jenny, are not doing it in person, corporately or privately. And, and that displeases me. I want you to tell your congregation, I need them to get thirsty again. That's what he said. Tell your people to get thirsty again. They t- t- I got to be their number one. I got to be their first love. I got to be more important than the television, more important than sleep, more important than the drive, more important than the inconvenience, more important, more important. I'm their savior. I died for them. There's nothing more important to me. But some of them aren't thirsting the way they used to thirst. I'm telling you, he dealt with me. I had another sermon plan on prayer. He dealt with me. He said, I want you to talk about this. So I said, well, Lord, okay, you've already time to told them all this. So, but you want me to tell them again? Uh, I'm afraid of you. <laughs> I, I just do what you say. I'm not arguing with you. And I want you to look at the Amplified Classic. Would you please look there? The Amplified Classic of verse um, 38. He that believes in me, who cleaves to and trusts in and relies on me, as the scripture has said, from his innermost being, that's your spirit, shall flow continuously springs and rivers of living water. Not one time. It's not just one time. It's a life of the Spirit. It's a life of the Spirit. Dad Hagen said the whole point of the New Testament, the whole common theme is about life in the Spirit. It includes praying in the Spirit, but it's not limited to that. It includes worship. It includes lots of things, but it's all about living in the Spirit. He wants us as a living experience. And the most fundamental basic part of life in the Spirit is having a relationship with Jesus, not just as a born-again believer, but as an intimate fellowship, daily communion with Him Amen. at home. Yes, and not getting lazy in your prayer life. Yes, but, if you, but if you don't thirst for Him, 
And it's not just enough to do it there. You dishonor him if you don't come amongst the saints because you're dishonoring his spiritual body. You guys are, so you know that doesn't apply to you. I'm talking to you guys. You can't dishonor his spiritual body because he expects you to come. So I said, Lord, you've already said all that, but I'll say it again. You want me to say it again? I'll say it again. And he said, I want you to say it again. So I said, okay, I'll say it again. And I said, now, of course, I know this is true about this life of the spirit and about the continual flow of the Holy Ghost post salvation. I said, but Lord, I'd really like another verse if you don't mind. He said, no problem. He said, turn to Acts 4.23. So I turned to Acts 4.23. So would you please turn to Acts 4.23? And then we'll all turn to Acts 4.23. And in Acts 4.23, I'm seeing how many times I can say it in a, in, in a, in a single breath. Uh, it says this. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they filled up their vo- lifted up their voice to God with one accord. Obviously, that means they were together. It wasn't an individual. They were with their company, which means their local church. They didn't go home and they didn't have computers, but they didn't go home and try to do this privately. They joined to their company and, and, they, and, they, and they reported all that they, the chief priests and elders had said, and they lifted up their voice in one accord. That means they were together physically. Are you with me? Not just, well, I'm with you, pastor, in spirit. No, they were together physically and they were together in unity. And said, Lord, thou art God, which has made the heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine Then the kings of the earth stood up and rules again against the other against the Lord and the greatest Christ. Command you, I used to stutter. Thank Jesus, I'm free. <laughs> For of a truth against the whole whole child Jesus, thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. What we need is a bit more threatenings. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness we may speak thy word. Now watch, the purpose of the prayer meeting was about evangelism. Uh, By stretching forth thine hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done. But God don't just expect you to go talk to people. He expects you to have signs and wonders. If you're not having signs and wonders, you might as well not do nothing. Because they're not really going to listen to you anyway. Because there's too many other religions out there and you're not probably the most eloquent person in the world. Neither am I. And your little track is not going to take un- unravel decades of wrong thinking. You need power. You need power. So stretch forth thine hands to heal. That signs and wonders may be done by the name of the Holy Child Jesus. Now watch now. This is the verse he wanted me to read to you. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. That means public gathering. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said of any of them which they ought, they possessed, was they only had all things in common. There was a complete camaraderie and unity and togetherness and one accord and one mind. And did you notice, this is the verse, I asked him, I said, give me another verse, and he gave me this verse which I knew, Jenny, but I kind of had forgotten about this verse in relation to the life of the Spirit. It wasn't a verse I would have probably, it wasn't in the top of my mind. Let's put it this way. Uh, and, and so basically it says that they were filled with the Holy Ghost, but the same group were filled with the Holy Ghost, Acts 2.4. They didn't lose their filling and I had to get refilled. What this means is a replenishment or another deluge. They had the Holy Ghost. They could pray in tongues. They had all of that stuff. But when they gathered together, the Holy Ghost came in the corporate gathering in a special way and refilled them, refired them, and the move of the Spirit in their life was ignited and strengthened and stirred. Amen. Do you see that? Yes. 
And then what happened when they, when they got that infilling, that refilling, that fire, that flow of the Holy Ghost in a corporate setting, not privately? What happened? They, they went out and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. So it didn't just produce a bless me club mentality. It produced, I need to go and tell somebody about Jesus. So the Lord gave me that verse, Jennifer, and he said, I haven't talked to her about this, but, but he said to me, he said, I want you to tell them that if the first early church had to gather together in person and pray together in person so that my spirit, they were already had the Holy Ghost. They already had rivers of living water. They already had it. They were already born again. They were already spirit-filled. They got born again when he breathed on them. They got spirit-filled on the, on the day of Pentecost. But this is post-day of Pentecost. They're born again and spirit-filled. But they still gathered. They still prayed. They still sought me. Amen. And, I, and I came on them afresh. Amen. There was a fresh flow of the Spirit in their life. Rivers of living water coursed out of them afresh and anew. Yeah. Which indicates, Reverend Greg, that if you don't have times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord, that people will start to get stagnant. And you, are you listening? You can get a measure of it in your living room because I've got it many times. But it's never quite the same measure of power than when you come to the house of God with brothers and sisters and all your supplies go, converge together and you pray and the Holy Ghost starts to move and something happens inside a person when that happens. Amen. That is very different when you're just in your prayer closet. Because this was not recorded privately. This was recorded as a gathered group. Yes, sir. I said, Lord, I know where you're going with this. Are you sure you want me to say this? Because you already told them this before. He said, I want you to tell them again. So can you just stay with me for another minute? So he said that. Now, Hebrews 10, 25, maybe your eyes need to see it. If you're looking at home today, please, would you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. Hallelujah. Hebrews 10 and 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. That word means habit, but exhorting or encouraging one another. And so much the more, the more, the more, the more, the more, as you see the day approaching, which is the day of the rapture, which is coming, my brother and sister. I know the preachers have been saying for years in 19, what was it, Jenny? 1916 or something when Lester was, I think he was born in 1911, when he was like five or six years old and his mother would drag him to church down there, down on the south. They were preaching, Jesus is coming soon. And he'd say, no, he ain't, because the guy died before Jesus came. And the next preacher would say, and then he'd die. And so he would start to mock them. He was really rebellious, Lester, as a kid. He'd mock them. Oh, they don't know what they're talking about. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus ain't coming soon. For hundreds of years, ministers have been preaching, Jesus is coming soon. Now, the difference is they didn't have the signs of the times like we have. And all you need to do is go on our archives and look for Joe Morris and listen to some of the stuff that he's taught and you will see sign after sign after sign after sign after sign that have been fulfilled. We are on the cusp. We, the, it's on the horizon. It's coming. The last day great revival is coming and the rapture is coming after that. We're living in the, not just the end days, the end of the end days. We're living in the footnotes of the end days. And people, it's easy for the spirit of the world to come on us and make us lethargic and annoyed and tired and distracted and and lose our fire, lose our heat. You've lost your first love and I've got that against you, he said to them. You got to have, you're hot, you're cold, but but don't be lukewarm because you disgust me. 
So the, the, listen, my brothers and sisters, I'm trying to help you. I'm not trying to hurt you. Yeah. I'm simply trying to tell. The Holy Ghost has been dealing with me for three days about this. Yeah. About me, not about you. I'm not thinking about you. I'm thinking about me. I'm afraid of God. Yeah. In a good way, in a holy way, in a reverential way. Yeah. I can't let myself get cooled. Yeah. Right. And sometimes I can feel it. And the only reason, Sandy, I get cool is because I've removed myself from the heat source. The heat source is his presence. The heat source is prayer. The heat source is waking up and spending time with him. The heat source is his word. The heat source is seeking him with fasting and prayer. And another, it's not the primary, but another secondary heat source is the local church. Because there's anointings here that aren't in my living room. When I'm praying, the anointing, corporate anointing, the throne of an office is not operating. I have to be around somebody who, who is anointed for that to operate. That's why privately and corporately are critical, critical components. But if you take yourself away from the heat source for too long, you're cool. And that's what COVID did. It's a strategy of hell. It took us away from the heat source with the government threatening us. That we'll sue you and we'll put hundreds of thousands of dollars. We'll bankrupt your churches. We'll arrest you. I'm telling you, it's bigger than COVID. It's bigger than a disease. It's a satanic strategic action to get churches to separate. The devil doesn't care about people. They're going to hell anyway, most of them. He knows they're going to hell. Do you think he cares if they go to hell by a car accident, by old age, or by a disease? He doesn't care. He's got them in his grip. What he is against is the church. So you have to ask yourself, was COVID spiritual? If the answer is yes, the reason it came was to stop the church. You got you to renew your mind. You're so mental, most of you. You're so CNN. Get out of that nonsense. Diseases of this scope are always spiritual. There are demons released as an attack against humanity. Because it's spiritual, you've got to understand who the enemy hates. Who is, it? Who is our enemy's enemy? It's not the secular people. He's already got them. He is not against them. They're his children. His enemy is the believer. His fear is the local church, the kingdom of God. That is who his enemy is. So if this disease has been spiritual, the primary, I don't care what the stupid Fauci or whatever their names are. I don't care what they say. They're darkened in their minds. The reason this has happened, it's a strategic action against the church. It is trying to stop the gospel. I'm telling you. And I believe it's not coincidence it's 2020. Because I, I could be wrong. I'd be happy to admit it if I'm wrong. But I believe we're in a preparation globally, a preparation zone for the last day great revival. I believe Hebron, while it's private to us, really in some ways is, is it's for the whole world. Because we're in a preparation zone before the last day move of God. And, and people, they don't call it what we call it. But Copeland has been saying, I see the last move of God on the horizon. Yeah. Pastor Nancy has been saying, it's right on the horizon. They're seeing this last outpouring, but it's not quite yet. But if they're seeing it on the horizon, on the curvature of the spiritual horizon, it means if you can see it, you're in a preparation zone for it. If you couldn't see it, you wouldn't be preparing for it. If they can see it, even a speck on the horizon, it means we are now preparing for it because it's now able to see. Which means we're in a preparation season. I believe personally for our church, it started in 2020 because God told me that's your Hebron year. I'm telling you, this is not all, this is all, this is, this is not coincidental. 
I'm not saying the enemy's called a global catastrophe for, against promise of life. I'm saying I think the whole global body of Christ even though they don't know it because they're ignorant, most of them. They're in a season of preparation for the last day outpouring, which will be global. It's not limited to a single work. It's global. And I think the devil knows things that we don't give him credit for, and he knows that that season of preparation has started, give or take, around 2020. And I believe with all my heart that he, that he planned this mass attack globally to try to sever, separate, and fray the church. Because his enemy is us. His enemy is not the sinner. His enemy is us. He hates us. He's already got them in his pocket. He's afraid because we're threatening him. I'm telling you. This COVID thing was a strategy to get to cause churches to close, to, and a lot of them have. In fact, we got a call uh, from, from Deanne's sister down in Phoenix, Arizona, and, and there was three wonderful churches, over 100 people each, and, and this COVID thing, I guess it discouraged the pastor or whatever, and, and those, all those pastors just quit. Didn't give, an ex didn't give a reason why. Didn't tell anybody. They just stopped. And the people come into church and there's no pastor. And they're looking around and saying, well, where's the pastor? I don't know. I've called him. He's not answering his phone. He's left his house. He's moved. We don't know where he went. They still don't know where the poor pastor went. The poor people. He's not the poor pastor. I mean the poor people. That's a, high, that's a hireling. Yeah. To have people and leave and not even tell them where you're going. Yeah. And then you've got other pastors lying to their congregation, doing things in a, in a room, making it look like it's their living room, and they're in Florida. When they're supposed to be in Kentucky. But they're in Florida on the beach, and they're in their room, making it look like their living room. And then, and then I don't know how they got caught, and now they, that church closed because everyone's mad at the pastor because he lied to them for months. He's in Florida while they think he's in their hometown. I can't see you because of COVID, but he's on the beach. You should hear the things I hear. It's ridiculous. Thank God that's not an FOF pastor. But anyway, my point is, is that churches all over the world have shut. And the ones that haven't are afraid, many of them. If you look at how many churches in our city, I've been having our staff do some research, uh, the vast majority of them, in terms of born-again believing churches, did not open when we were allowed to open. There's some that just have only opened July 7th for the first time in, in six months, when they could have earlier, and they didn't. Why? Because they're afraid. Because there's no spirit of faith. Because there's no teaching about the blood. There's no teaching about your dominion. There's no teaching you don't need to be afraid. So the pastors are afraid and the people are afraid. So what I'm saying is this thing has had a multi-pronged attack. It's closed churches. It's caused others to fall into a quagmire of fear. And then others like us, it's, it's affected us the least, but there's still a strategic attack because it's try. if they can't shut us down, if they can't get me to lie to you and, and quit on you, if they can't get you all and me to not open the church because I'm afraid, if none of that works, he'll work on the congregation to be lazy. Do you understand? So that when we call the trumpet, they don't show up. It's a strategic attack, I'm telling you. But it's turning. It's turning. I, I'm not sure it's really turning because the church is praying. I mean, it's turning because people are just smart and they have scientists and they make vaccines. But it's turning nonetheless. It's turning. So he said to me, I want you to tell them that about Hebrews 10, 25. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and I just, I don't know. In my heart, maybe I'm a simpleton. But all I really want to do is make Jesus happy. I really mean that. At the end of the day, what matters to me more than a nice car, a nice house, a nice this, and I said, I want to please him. And if you don't have that attitude, there's something grossly wrong with you. If you're more important, if you care more about what people think about you than about your Savior, something's off. I really, seriously, 
I give it all up. I give it all up. In India, after that bad sunburn, I had almost third, not, 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 there's not a degree with sunburn, but it was the worst the doctor's ever seen over there. And, and, and I was in bed for five days. I couldn't move. And uh, the, this poor pastor was taking care of me because I fell asleep in the sun. And when I woke up, I was like a lobster. And I mean, it was agonizing pain. I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything for five days. But in that five days, I had an encounter with God, even in the pain. I didn't know anything about prosperity. I didn't know anything about Dad Hagen. I didn't know nothing about nothing about nothing. I didn't. So I didn't know my rights. But God knew that, and he wanted to test the reins of my heart. And, for, and in that five-day period, he had an encounter, I had an encounter with him, and he, and, and he said to me, are you willing to preach? Are you willing to go around the world? Are you willing to do that if you have nothing? He said, well, God wouldn't say that. Oh, yes, he would, because he did to me. He knew I'd figure it out. He knew I'd get rightly connected and I'd learn about prosperity. But that's not his issue. His issue was, where's your heart? What's the motive of your heart? Are you doing this for money or are you doing this for me? Because if you're doing this for me, you'd be willing to live in a gutter, are you? And I remember lying there in pain. And, and not, I didn't say it out of pain, but I said, Father, I just want you to know, uh, I, if you ask me to stay in this country, it's poor there for the rest of my life. Because I would visit, would visit the slums. I've never seen humanity like that before, brother. I mean, feces flowing down the thing. You, you can't even breathe. The smell is so awful. And that's how they lived, Deanne. And I would go shack to shack and tell people that Jesus loves you and pray hand. God would heal in people instantly, right there. Instantaneous healings over and over again because they're so desperate and God's mercy is so great. And they'd get born again and then there was a little slum church and would add them to that slum church and love the pastor and pray for the pastor and buy him a new jacket and help them. I mean, that's, that's, that's gritty Christianity. So I know what it smells like. I know it. My stomach feels like I'm going to vomit when I'm there because it's so disgusting. I know that. You haven't, most of you, been there. You're in your bubble all the time, but I've been there. So when I'm on that bed of affliction, at my own doing, that God's dealing with me, and he said, would you do it for me if you don't have anything? And I said, Lord, if you ask me to stay in this God-forsaken country. That's how I felt at that time, because the poverty and the demons, and it just, it's not a God-forsaken country. God loves India. But that's how I felt at the time. I said, if you ask me to stay here, never let me go back to Canada. And if I have to live in that shack, in that, in that, in that, in that slum, and if that's honestly what you ask me to do, and I, I live in the gutter, I'll do it with every ounce of my being because I love you. I love you more than anything on this planet, and I'll do it for you. I said, but I've got one problem, Lord. I've got one problem and one problem only. I'm, I'm a red-blooded man, and I want a wife. And I said, no wife is going to want to live with me in a gutter. So I said, you've got to give me a gutter wife. <laughs> no, seriously. I told the Lord, you've got to give me a gutter wife. You've got to give me somebody that is willing to love me with, with, even though I have nothing. And if, I ask, if you ask me to be in the gutter, I'll do it. And I win people to Jesus until my last dying breath. Because I'm not in this for the money. I'm in this for you. But I've got to have a wife that can live in the gutter with me and won't quit on me. If you can bring me that, I'll do anything you ask. Because I don't want to be alone. He didn't answer me. But after that time, I'm telling you, something like granite came into my soul. And I left that place really thinking I would never own a house. I was convinced I would never own a house. I would never have anything nice. And then, of course, my, my natural father, who was a multi-million banker, would say to me, if you come, I'll pay you all this money and all this stuff. And if you don't, you'll never have a suit. You'll never own a house. And he would reinforce, they would use him to reinforce all the thoughts that I already had. All the insecurities I already had. He didn't mean it. He was trying to motivate me to work for him. But it was, it was reinforcing the devil's plan and torment in my mind. 
I never expected to have anything. But he was looking at the heart. And he knew I got him. God knew I got Craig. He'll do it if he's got everything and he'll do it if he's got nothing. And money won't turn him. Fame won't turn him. Women won't turn him. Uh, popularity won't turn him. Being, having a big church won't turn him. Nothing will turn him. I've got him. That's why then God can start saying, now, I want you to hook up with this guy because he's going to teach you how to get rich my way. I want you to hook up with this one. He's going to teach you how to get, how to get a, not just a gutter wife. She is a gutter wife, but she's a gutter princess, a glorious wife. I don't know. Because she'd be willing to be in the gutter and she'd be willing to be in the governor's mansion. So I got my gutter wife, but I don't like calling her that because it doesn't sound good. You're my gutter wife, honey. We're willing to go anywhere Jesus asks. But now we've learned him and he knows our hearts. He won't ask us to do certain things because he knows we'll do it. Half the time, he only tells people to do stuff because they won't do it. So just get willing, and you probably won't be sent to the place that you're scared of. Just get willing, and and you'll bypass all that because he's looking at the heart. Are you willing? Are you willing? I don't know why I'm on that, but I just feel like some of you need to know that I'm not in this for money. And just because God's blessing me, and he's blessing me. I'm not ashamed of it. He's blessing me. I'm so happy. I'm so blessed. But I keep, I always think back to that attic in that pastor's house. I said, Lord, you go ahead and bless me. In fact, bless me big time. He said, I'm going to bless your socks off. Bless me because you know it ain't about that. I'm not after it for that. I'm after it for you. And I'll give it all up if you tell me. I'll go back and live in the slum. I'll do it tomorrow if he tells me. And gutter wife, you're coming with me. But because I know his nature, I know he won't lead me back into poverty because when you pass one test, you don't go backwards. You always go, you go glory to glory, not glory to dungeon. He go glory to glory to glory, but he still knows the motive of my heart. I'll do it if he asks me to. I don't know why I'm talking about that. The Holy Ghost is wanting me to talk about that. It's on in my notes and I don't know why, but some of you, some of you maybe need to know my motive of heart, but also some of you need to look at your own motive of heart. Why are you doing this? You got to do this for a pure, unadulterated love of Jesus, not for the prosperity message. Prosperity will work for you, but you can't do it for that reason. You can't do it even for healing. Healing will work for you, but you got to love Jesus regardless of whether you're healed or not. It's got to be pure religion. If I could use that word religion, which we don't like, but James called it pure religion. Are you with me? I just love him. I want to please him. And if pleasing him means obeying his word, I want to obey his word. If his word says gather together, I want to do that. And that's what I'm trying to talk to you because he said, I want you to tell them some of them are not, they're not thirsty enough. That's why there's there's no flow of the spirit in their life, privately or corporately. Uh, Some of them, most of them are, but some of them aren't. I want you to talk to them again about it. I said, I already talked to them about that twice. He said, I want you to talk about it one more time. Again, he's the chief shepherd, I'm the under shepherd. Uh, and if he's asked us uh, to honor his body, we should be here. If he's asked us to not forsake ourselves, we should be here. Not because of any other reason other than we love him. Yes. I love him. Yes. You don't not come to church because of the gospel. You don't not come to church because of COVID. He's stronger than COVID. Yes. Well, not all of them, you know, you know, somebody might be sick, even if they've got a mask on, even if they're social distancing, I might catch something. But I, 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 hate, to, I hate to say this because it's going to make some of you angry. Because I don't believe, I, I know the blood. I've been in malaria zones and the only one that didn't go out by emergency ambulance. So I know how to be protected. But what I'm saying is you've got to almost settle it like, even if I got COVID when I came to church, I still come because I love Jesus. I know that sounds so counterproductive, but it's the motive of the heart that he's looking for. You don't just, 
I go anywhere and I'll encounter anything because I love him. But because I know him, not just love him, I won't get sick because of his dominion. But the motive is, if you say, go to church and get COVID or don't go to church, I'll take COVID, thank you. But I'm, I'm going to crawl my way to the house of God if I have to. It's better to be a doorkeeper, a servant, a low one, a menial tasker in the house of the Lord than to abide in the tents of wickedness forever. That's what Psalm 84 verse 10 says. It's better to be a low man in the house of God than a high man in the world. And some people want to be a high man in the world, but they won't wash the toilet in the house of God. And you don't have the heart of David, and that's why God don't bless you the same way. That's why you pray and he don't answer. That's why you ask him a question, he don't talk to you because you've got a pride about you. If any minister in my fellowship is not willing to wash the floor, they should get out of my fellowship. Because God is looking for hearts of servants. He's not looking for people wanting, you serve me, you serve me, you serve me. Okay, so then, so he said, he tell me, Luke, Luke, what did I say? John 7, come unto me. If you're thirsty, you're going to have this flow of the Spirit. Very simple. Acts 4, I want, they need to gather together for this flow of the Spirit. So tell them together. Even though you've had them, tell them again. Then he said this, I, I, I'm going, listen, you blame the person that got in the accident. Okay, because I was supposed to get up at 8.15 and preach, but the accident delayed me. So blame that person, because I'm not quitting until I'm done. And you're going to stay, dear God, you're going to stay. But I'm not going to be long, but I, I have to get this out. Now he said, I said, Lord, okay, you're telling me this, great, am I done? He said, I want you to do something else. And he sent me to Luke 14, 16. Again, this was over three days. Luke 14, 16. Would you turn there, please, with me? Luke 14 and verse 16. And boy, this got my attention. Mm -mm -mm. I have not preached about this in years. I have not thought about this parable in years. It's as far away from my mind as Mars. And he said, I want you to talk to them about this. This church, promise of life, I want you to talk to them about this. A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent a servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. And the first said unto him, I bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. He didn't even ask to be excused because the wife beat him up so much. He's just, he's just depressed. Okay. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house being angry. Did you see that? Yes. Said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto his servant, Go out of the highways and the hedges and compel them, that means to drag in the Greek, to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Wow, wow. upset. I mean, he took, he took me to this supernaturally. I haven't thought about this parable in years, Jennifer. And early in the morning, he said, I want you to turn. He called it the banquet parable. That's how he said it to me. Turn and read the banquet parable again. And uh, listen, you, you like it or don't like it, I don't, I don't really care. My job is to deliver. My job is not to worry about how you feel. I'm just delivering. I'm the FedEx. I'm delivering. Yeah. That word excuse, ex please excuse me, please excuse me. I want to be excused from the supper. It means to belittle in the Greek. It means to belittle. 
When you belittle somebody, you show them a lack of honor. You put them down. Whatever, whatever. They're not important. And, uh, <laughs> and that word angry uh, is a very interesting word. It means to provoke. When you reject God's invitation, you provoke him. It means to become enraged. And it means to be exasperated. It means to have violent passion and, your, and a, justifiable, a justifiable ire. <laughs> it means to reach for punishment. It means when you provoke somebody like that, they're about to let you have it. It's like what a child does to their parent. That's what it means. The Lord was angry. And he said, go and bring others. And the others came and there was still room. And he said, go get even the others and drag them in. Because one way or the other, I'm going to have a full house. Do you hear that? One way or the other, I'm going to have a full house. Jesus expects the local church to be full. I mean, I had a holy fear of God when, when, he, when I was reading this, brother, and, and the Holy Ghost started talking to me. And the Lord said to me, he said, as you know, son, the macrocosm of this story is about the nation of Israel and the Gentiles. The nation of Israel were bidden, they rejected, he opened it up to the, whole, the blind and the lame, which were the Gentiles outside the covenants of grace. But through the blood of Jesus, they became part of the covenants of grace, grafted in ones. But in a microcosm, this is the local church. See, everything, in, everything that Jesus said under the old covenant related to Israel because he was preaching to Israel, but it, he was also the bridge to the New Testament local church age. So what we see, you always got to look, because there's always a local church parallel as well as an Israel parallel in most of the parables. Do you understand? And so this is not just about Israel and the Gentiles. This is about the local church. And in a microcosm, this is basically what, what the Lord is basically saying is, I've, I'm asking people to come. And they're making excuses. And I'm getting fed up of their excuses. They are provoking me to anger. He said this to me, Taylor, whether you believe it or not. I'm there praying early in the morning. And he said to me, I'm telling you, it was serious. He said, you've said twice to your congregation and some of them will still not come. He said, most will, but some won't. They're stubborn. He said, what they're doing is they are provoking my ire. He said that to me, whether you believe it or not, you ones watching at home that are guilty of this, you better listen. Yes, sir. I don't care if you get offended and you want to leave the church, go ahead and leave the church. I, I'm not, that's not what this is about. I don't want you to leave the church, but I'm not begging anybody. Yes. I'm telling you what God told me and I'm bold about it because I have to be. Yes, that's what, that I may have the utterance and with bold utterance I may speak as I ought to speak. So there can't just be utterance, there's got to be boldness, otherwise you don't say the way God wanted you to say it. I can say it in a certain way, but it not communicate the way he said it to me. The way he said it to me was annoyed. Because with lukewarm, he's disgusted. He spits people out. With people that make excuses about coming, this is not just about salvation, Jews and Gentiles, or even general salvation for the world. This is also a symbolic type and shadow and parallel to people respecting and honoring the house of God, the local church, and being faithful to come. And yet one makes an excuse, and one makes an excuse, and one makes an excuse. And if you notice the excuses, that, that, that there's, uh, there's money involved, there's industry involved, and there's relationships involved. Did you notice that? I bought a piece of land, that's industry. What was the first one? What was the first guy that made the excuse? He said, I bought a piece of ground, and then the other one is yoke of oxen, and the other one is a wife. So I've got to go and do my job, and I've got to go and do my job because the land and the job are both work-related. How many people? I can't come to church because I got my job. You're still insulting the Holy Ghost whether you got a job or not. 
You can change your job to honor your master. Yes, because I know when I had a job, if, I, if they wouldn't let me do my church time, I quit the job and God gave me a better one. But see, what this has done is made us lazy. It's made us, eh. Everything's now more important. Excuse, excuse, excuse. And he dealt with me. He dealt with me. Tell them, I know their excuses about their jobs. These two had excuses about their work. And I know their excuses about their relationship because one had a relationship excuse too. And it doesn't cut it with me. He said to me, tell them, it doesn't cut it. You've taught them the word, it doesn't cut it with me anymore. I said, Lord, you sure you want me to say that? Will anyone come back on Sunday? Well, I think the people that are maybe that are coming, well, maybe the ones that aren't, well, I don't know. I hope they'll too. I hope nobody gets offended. That's not what I'm trying to do. And then he said, do you remember your wife prophesied by my spirit that those that don't show honor, the seats will be taken by others? This was years ago. I said, Lord, I remember that. And so then this is the core of what I'm saying here. He gave me those three verses, John 7, Acts 4, and uh, Luke 14. Tell them I want them to have a flow of the Spirit. Tell them to gather together in unity so that that can happen in person. And tell them if they make excuses, they're, they're offending me. I'm tired of their excuses. God is tired of excuses. He's not your boss. He's your God. He's not your friend. He's your God. You better, be, you better, be, you better have a holy fear before you make another excuse to him. Your work schedule is not more important than Jesus. You better, you better, listen, I'm not being extreme. I understand that we have life that we have to work with, but God is looking at the heart. One time, two time, three time, there's mercy. But when someone for months and months and months and months, it's this, this work and that thing and my parents and my grandchildren and this and this reason, and I don't want to get COVID and I signed a contract at work. It's all a bunch of excuses. And some of them may have legitimacy in and of themselves, but to continue and dishonor God over a long time when you did it before COVID started, God is done with the excuses. You understand the heart? I'm not being legalistic about every single service. I'm talking about over time, God is looking at the heart. And this doesn't apply to the vast majority of people in our congregation, but it does apply to some. And the rest of you, it needs to put a little bit of holy fear, lest you start getting lukewarm yourself. Because it's very easy to get lukewarm. You just stop praying at home. I know the people that don't want to come to church. They don't pray. I know it because you can't spend time with God and the Holy Ghost not drive you to his house. Are you understanding me? You just can't. It doesn't work that way. It's not possible. I don't mean to be vulgar, but I can't kiss my wife for any length of time without wanting a little bit more. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because one leads to the other. That's why we tell, no, I'm being honest. That's why we tell young people, don't be smooching in the car because then the hands want a little bit more and then everything else wants a bit more. And before you know it, you're pregnant. So you stay away from each other until you're married. This honest, this honest, this is common sense and spiritual common sense. We got to talk about that. You can't love the Holy Ghost. You can't be intimate with him. You can't spend time with him and him not tell you, get to my house. I need your supply. Lift your hands in corporate worship. Bring your ministry vows. Bring your tithe. Serve the saints. Love me. You can't love him and him not tell you because he goes with his word. And his word is tired of excuses. Are you listening? Because the anointing is on me to say it. All right. And, okay. Then he said these words. This is the big, this is the big thing. This is what I named it. He said, I said, Lord, he said all this to me. And I said, okay, I'll say it. I don't know, Lord, they're going to stone me or something, but I'll say it. But you, but you had to help me so nobody, I, I don't lose everybody. But you had to help me because I need them to be thirsty. I need you to make them thirsty. 
And the Holy Ghost said this to me. Are you listening? He said these words, and I'm talking like almost audible. He said, open up the gates and let the hungry ones come. Hungry ones in the church and hungry ones outside the church. That's what he said to me. Because I was going to go a whole different route with the phase three opening starting Friday. I was going to have a whole different strategy. I was going to engineer it so that everybody in our church could come to church one time a week, whether it was Sunday or Wednesday. Because there is no limit now. We can have as many people as we want as long as we social distance. So we were going to be very creative and put people down the hallway and put people on the stage and put people under the screens and put people in the Christmas tree. I'm saying, you can see all those chairs back there. People were going to be sitting on top of those chairs like a little pedestal. No, I'm serious. I was going to do it so that everybody could come either a Wednesday or a Sunday. And the Lord stopped me. He said, I don't want you to do that. I said, why? Isn't it good that everybody comes? He said, not everybody in your church will even come. You're making all that effort and they won. They're not even worthy of it. That's what he said to me. He said, open up the gates, son. That's how he worded it to me. Open up the gates and let the hungry ones come. Hungry in the church and hungry outside the church. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, it is, you're back to normal. He said, it don't make it look like it, but you are back to normal. That's what he said. He said, you are now back to normal. His phrasing was, you're open for business. He said, I want you to tell people that as of this Sunday, July the 18th, you're open for business. Things are back to normal. We will honor the rules of the government with the social distancing. We don't have to look over our shoulders or be afraid because we're going to honor them. We're going to do what they say. But we are open for business. I am opening up the gates. We have not had one visitor come since March of last year. And as of this Sunday, that changes. The Lord said to me, your church is stagnating. He said that to me, your church is stagnating. He said, you got the same people all the time. There's no fresh blood coming in. And he said, even some of the ones there are getting lazy and are not, are not bringing their supply. And they're making excuses. He said, if they don't want to come, I'll deal with them. You leave them alone. I'll deal with them. But I want new people to come. I want fresh blood to come. I want the hungry ones to come. And if they're hungry in your church, then give them priority. And if they're not hungry in your church, let somebody else who's hungry come. Amen. He was very strict with me, Taylor. So that's what we're going to do. And I said, Lord... Lord, I don't know about this stuff, you know, because of visitors. And, and he said, what are, you, what are you scared of, son? You're doing everything the government's told you to do. That You can't get in trouble. I want you to invite sinners to start coming back to church. He said that to me, Greg. If, not, just, not just because a few 5% of our people don't. It wouldn't matter if 50% of our people didn't. God is, or, or none of our, it wouldn't matter if everybody was faithful. He would still say, I want you to open up the gates. That's what he said to me. It's time, my brothers and sisters, God has spoken to me very clearly. He said, open up the gates and let the hungry ones come. And almost like a confirmation, well, it wasn't almost, it was a confirmation, but it, I didn't really know. But I was talking to some secular person about something. And, uh, you know, and, and anyway, I was talking, I was, it's something for Pastor Nancy we're, we're buying for her, for her birthday. And I was talking to this person about it, and, and, they, and they were in communication with me. And, and they said, uh, because in, in the communication, I said, you know, you know, when I pick this thing up, I, I'd love to meet you. You know, don't, don't just leave, leave that thing there. I, I, there's something, I just want to thank you in person. This person got back to me and said, this total stranger, total sinner. Said, uh, you know, when you said you wanted to meet with me, just to say thank you, I don't know, something in my heart won't let go of that sentence. So I went on and I found you on the internet. And I've watched your church. And you know, I'm on a spiritual journey, but I don't really know how to get to the destination. And I'm looking for God to help me. And I saw you on your church, and, and, they, and he said, I'll be there, no problem, when you pick it up. But would you mind if I come to your church? Question mark, question mark, two question marks. 
Would you mind if I come to your church? Would you mind if I come to your church? These poor sinners don't realize that we want them to come. <laughs> and I got back to this precious person and I said, you know, sometimes God prompts us and we don't even know why. I just felt like I needed to meet with you and I didn't know why. And I said, I'm glad that I asked to meet with you and I'm glad you've responded. And I said, of course you can come. There's no pressure. If you don't, I'll meet with you when I pick up the thing. But I said, of course you can come. Jesus loves you. And there's a place for you here. Our job is to help people. And I said, ironically, this was today this happened. I said, ironically, I just met with, my, with some of my staff a few hours ago and just told them that we're letting all new people come as of this Sunday. We haven't had any, any new person since met in March of last year. And just a couple hours ago, I told our staff that we're opening up the doors for anybody that wants to come. And here you are asking to come. I said, you're welcome to come anytime you want. Don't leave the building without coming saying hi to me. And when I, when I press send, and, then I'm, and I'm going back up, and the Lord said, I'm confirming to you through that situation. Yeah. I'm confirming to you through that situation. I want you to open the gate, son. I want you, it's time. Yes. I want you to get back to normal. Yes, you might be physically separate and all that stuff, but I want your mentality to get back to normal. It's business as usual. We're open for business, and we need to invite people, and we need to go out and get the halt, the blame, the line. We need to get people that need Jesus, and we need to bring them in. So as of Sunday, that's what we're doing, because he told me. I'm not saying that I think he told me. I know that he told me. The way I know my name is Craigfield, I know he told me. <laughs> okay? Then I thought he was done, and he said, hold on a second. I'm not finished with you. I said, Lord, this is enough. It's enough. He said, go back to Acts 4. I read it again. He said, did you notice that they didn't just come to get refilled, but they also came to pray? And he said, and did you notice that after they prayed, they evangelized? And he said, I want you to get the people praying again. Amen. And I want you to get the people evangelizing again. Amen. We're opening it up. So start telling people about the good love of Jesus yeah. and inviting them to come. Because that's what the early church did. They gathered and were filled. And the Holy Ghost moved in them. And they were strengthened and encouraged. But they also prayed together. Yeah. It wasn't just this, in, this separate, like everybody in your seats and you're individually getting and then you leave. No, there was that, but there was also times of prayer. So the Lord said, bring back prayer strong. Amen. And then he said, I want you to emphasize the, the line, the, the name, the blind. I want you to get them telling people. And that's how that, that email and everything and the confirmation. Tell them this is not just about coming and getting a fill up, just, you know, us four and no more. This is not also just about prayer, although it is about prayer. It's about help. Our mandate is to save that which was lost. That is our mandate. And I'm telling you, he wants the hungry ones to come. And there are sinners out there that are desperate. And there are Christians, some of us, are not desperate. And God will, is these people that are lukewarm disgust him, but the sinners that are cold, but their heart wants him. So in some ways they're hot, but they don't know how to be hot. They're cold spiritually, but they're hot and they're searching. He wants them in this place. So that's what we're doing. That's, I'm telling you. I said, okay, Lord, do I call more prayer meetings? He said, yes. And he said, I'll tell you when. He said, but I want, listen, listen, he never talks to me this way, Pastor Happy. But this was a supernatural experience over three days. And he said, I want you to do a 24-hour prayer clock. Now, I don't normally do 24-hour prayer clocks. But he said, I want you to do a 24-hour prayer clock. It's out there on the sign-up sheet. And he said, 30 minutes only. Because if you do more than 30 minutes, people may say they'll do it, but they won't because they'll get tired. So if they want to pray for three hours, that's fine, but you're only marking them down for 30 minutes. Yeah. 
And he said, I want you to have 48 people. If you can have 48 people to pray half an hour segments, you've got a day covered. If you get 96 people, then they do it every other day. And then if you go up and things are 48, it will be every three days or every four, depending on how many people want to pray. He said, I want 24-hour prayer. And I said, about what, Lord? But to just, just so that they worship you for their pastor and thank God that they have a pastor? Is that what you want them to pray about? <laughs> no, I didn't say that, obviously. That's stupid. He said, I want you to pray for two things only. Only two things. And I said, okay, for now, at least, this is the instruction for now. That could change. He said, for this moment, only two things. And I said, what? He said, what did your pastor tell you? That's why you need a pastor, because they know more than you. Yeah. The last time she was here in October 2019, I asked Pastor Nancy, I said, Pastor, if I'm praying in our church or having our people to pray, what are the two most important things? Or and I didn't say two. I said, what are the most important things that we need to pray for? Yes. She said, you tell the people, the most important thing that you can pray for is hunger. Yes. And the second most important thing you can pray for is to respond. Yes. She said, people have to hunger. They've lost their hunger and their thirst. Yes. What did Jesus say? What is John 7? If you thirst, yes. come and you'll have a flow of the Spirit. The people were thirsty, so they gathered, and they were filled, and they prayed, and they evangelized. The people that came to the house for the banquet were hungry. The hungry ones made, the unhungry ones made excuses, but the hungry ones came. So he said, what did your pastor say? What does my word say? Both line up. He said, pray for hunger, and pray that they respond. Not just to be hungry and sit there like a lump in a log. Tell them to pray that they'll respond in worship. Pray that they'll respond in tithing and giving. Pray that they'll respond in ministry of helps. Pray that they'll respond in evangelizing. Pray that they'll respond in their prayer life at home. It's about hunger and responding. So if you want to pray for promise of life, that our congregation, and not just our congregation, but others out there that we're witnessing to, but primarily our congregation, will hunger and respond, then before you go, you sign up your name. And it, we're not going to put that into effect. We're going to give it a, you know, a couple days. So it doesn't go into effect tomorrow. It will go into effect on Sunday. Okay, but you go and sign your name up there. All right? And don't do more than half an hour because if you block off a whole thing of time, we're going to erase it and just put you on a half an hour segment because I need the supply of many, not just some praying professionals, to take the entire swath. I, everybody has a supply. Everybody can pray for half an hour. Well, pastor, I don't know how to pray. Well, this is how I do. Lord, I, for regarding hunger and responding for our congregation, I pray in the Holy Ghost. And you do that for 30 minutes and that's it. You don't have to read scriptures or no whole fancy way of praying or highfalutin words. Just pray in the Holy Ghost for hunger and responding. Because he said to me, your congregation is not hungering like they used to. They're making excuses. And it's not just, Taylor, the ones that aren't coming, because there's only a few of them. It's even people that are coming, but they're making excuses about ministry of helps. You know how hard Lorraine has worked to try to get KOP workers? She's sweating. She's so tired trying to call, 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 call. And everyone's saying, no, I'm busy. No, I'm this. Enough with your busyness and excuses. The Bible says in Corinthians that they loved Serving so much, it says they were addicted to serving the saints. And everybody these days with COVID has an excuse. Stop it. I'm, I'm, the Lord is, it's not what you're seeing looks like I'm angry. It's the Holy Ghost that's displeased. He is displeased, Greg. It's not me being fleshly. This is righteous indignation. The Holy Ghost is tired of excuses. And don't point the finger at the two or three or five or ten that are whatever their reasons are for not coming. The majority of the offenders are not just them. They're in our midst. People that refuse to serve, that used to serve. People that refuse to tithe. We have not made our budget in five and a half months. We are $45,000 in the hole. I don't want to tell you that 
because I'm using my faith for it. But every single week we're going in the hole because we're not making the budget. Because people make excuses. One person said, yeah, I make money, but I can't afford to tithe. Oh, okay. Okay. I said, Lord, I've got to give that person to you. I, Lord, I, I, Lord I, my eyes are on you. I'm not going to pressure the people. My eyes are on you. And he said to me in this prayer time, he said, Dad Hagen told the people the need. But he didn't pressure them for the money. He trusted me, but he told them what the budget was. Every time I was listening to one of his services, he would always say, let's take up the budget. This is what the budget is. And, he would, and then, then he wouldn't pressure. Pressuring is not faith. But it's okay for you to know the need, and then I give that need over to God. Because if you don't know the need, you may not give. Because you should give if you know how to listen to the Holy Ghost, but so many people don't listen to the Holy Ghost. He's trying to tell them to give, and they're like, why? Why should I give $200? Actually, I don't want to give $200. But if you know we're $45,000 in the hole, and that we, I was going to take a deficit offering, which we've never done before. I think maybe we did it once years ago. We did do it once. Because they, li they didn't tell us the, all the lighting in here, which was hundred grand. they didn't tell us the tax. And we were 30-something thousand in the hole. Do you remember that? Years ago. And I did the first deficit offering I've ever done because we had the tax belowing and we didn't have any money. And I didn't get paid that week. All the staff got paid, but I didn't get paid. I had to front money from my savings account so the church could pay its, its, uh, its rent. We were that bad that back then. It was hard. I've never taken a deficit offering one time since then. But there's a first time where I said, Lord, I think we're going to have to call a deficit offering because we're not making it. Now, he didn't tell me to do it, and he didn't tell me not to do it. So when he doesn't tell you, it's just best that you don't do it. Yes. You don't do things as God tells you to do them. Right. And he didn't tell me to do a deficit offering, so I'm not going to. But he said, tell the people what the need is, yes. and I will speak to hearts. Amen. So if God touches your heart to give an extra $10, $50, $500, or $45,000, please feel free to do that. <laughs> because, and, and more than that, we don't, that's fine for the deficit, but we need to release our faith for $35,000 a week. We're not getting it. We need to believe God for it. Some of you, it's like as far away as Mars to you. If you're part of this vision every day, not out of fear, but out of faith, Lord, I want to thank you for that 35,000. I don't care how it comes in. I don't care if it comes in from sinners. I don't care where it comes from, but we need that 35,000 because this is the church. And Lord, people are making excuses, but I'm releasing my faith and I'm going to do my part, Lord, whatever that is. I can't do it all, but I'll do my part. And Lord, I'm asking you to touch hearts to do their part. Release your faith with me. Yes. See, in this making excuses business, people make excuses not to serve, they make excuses not to give, they make excuses not to come, and then they make excuses at home not to pray because they're too busy. Right. COVID should not, oh, thank God I didn't smash the phone's cover, I thought I had. It's okay. <laughs> Praise God, it's not broken. Hallelujah. So that's it. I just wanted to ask you to serve in Ministry of Helps. KOP starts on the 25th, not this Sunday, because Lorraine didn't have faith for the Sunday. So I had faith for the Sunday, but she said, Pastor, you don't know those people. It's going to take us at least 10 days to get, to get the people we need. I said, according to thy faith, sister, be it unto thee. Praise God. So we're starting KOP. We're starting KOP on July 25th, because she needs 10 days for her faith to get workers. But I expect people to step up. And if you haven't helped, Listen, listen to me. Are you all listening to me? Are you listening to me? If you don't step up, I'm not going to preach. I'm going to go with the children. I'm not going to preach. And she's not going to preach either. And nobody's going to preach. We're going to do the worship. We're going to sit and they're going to be silence. We're going to all sit in silence. I'm not playing music for you. You don't deserve music. I'm going to make everybody sit quietly. Just twiddle your thumbs like Dad Hagen used to do this. Just twiddle your thumbs. I'm going to go and help. Do you understand? You know who taught me that? Dr. Coulter. 
because they wouldn't, they wouldn't vacuum the carpet in one service. And he'd ask them to, and they wouldn't. I was in that service. And he, he came into the pulpit, and he said, uh, until this carpet is vacuumed, I'm not preaching. And he went and sat down, and everybody sat in silence. And somebody went out and got the vacuum. And when it was done, he stood up, and he said, now that, now that the people have honored the Lord's house, I'll preach to you. Now, if you don't honor it, I'm not preaching. You can sit in silence. I'm going to go out there and help the children because we're going to have children's church because they need it. Yes. Seeing these little VBS kids here, seeing them soaking up. I woke up this morning. Luke's sleeping with me. And I woke up this morning and, and he, as as he popped his eyes open. Like, as soon as, and I'm already awake praying, but he popped his eyes. He said, Daddy, Daddy. I said, what? I thought there was something wrong. I said, what, what, what? What's wrong? Why are you? Daddy, we have to leave. VBS is starting. He jumped out of bed and went to get dressed. We have to go. We can't be late for VBS. And while he's getting dressed, I don't know what songs you're singing, but he's putting on his little underwear and his socks, and he's singing some song that your guys taught him. He's singing it. He's only six. These little children, they need VBS, but VBS is one week out of 52. They need children's church because they, they, they have been isolated, and they need it. Young people, we need the youth to meet. We need the young adults to meet. We need it, the children especially, but all of us need it. So I'm expecting, I'm expecting workers for Ministry of Helps. I'm asking you to step up. Stop making excuses, stop being lazy. I'm asking you to tithe. I'm asking you to give more if and only if God tells you. Because I'll never pressure people. My, my, my eyes are on you. And I mean that. There's never going to be pressure from this pulpit. I'm simply telling you the need. So tithe, serve. Come, sign up and pray at home. When we have prayer meetings, come. Come to services. So what? We're not doing cycles anymore. You know these nonsense cycle things? Cycle equals COVID. And as far as I'm concerned, it's over. We're opening up the gates. So, I, so Lorraine and I have agreed, no more cycles. If you want to come to church, you email. There's no more, when is the email open? Ah, shut up, just email. I'm tired of this. Just email. The first ones that ask for a certain date with their preference, we'll get it. If that service is full, we'll go to the next service. We're going to do social distancing, but we're going to add more seats. We're going to put maybe people perched. I don't know. We'll see. But we're going to do whatever we can to pack them in. And, and then one day they're going to lift the restrictions and we're all going to be able to sit together. Amen. I don't know why they're doing it. People that have been double vaccinated. Like, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. But anyway, we have to follow the rules. I said, Lord, can I break the rules? Because I've been very obedient for a long time. And it's not like me to be obedient for so long. I feel like a, like a withdrawal. Like I have to break some rule. I have to. I have to break something. Rules were made to be broken. Especially stupid rules. Dumb rules. COVID rules. Demon rules. Doctor rules. He said, you keep following the rules, son. I don't want sinners coming in here and seeing you breaking the rules and you getting in trouble. So we're following the rules, but we're packing people in. No more cycles. It's just serve. we start this on the 18th. Okay? This Sunday, we start a brand new thing. Open the gates, son. Amen. The hungry ones, let them come. If they're in your church and they're hungry, let them come. If they're not hungry, I'll deal with them. I'm not mad at you. The Holy Ghost is trying to get something over to you. I'm not upset with you. For those of you that are tithing and giving and not coming for whatever your reason is, it's between you and Jesus. I'm telling you, you're displeasing him. I'm telling you, he's not happy with excuses. I'm telling you that he gets angry. But that's between you and him. I'm not, just because they disobeyed, it's not going to affect my call. Did you know I was called before they disobeyed? I was called while they disobeyed, and I'll be called after they've disobeyed. I'm not letting their disobedience ruin my peace.
and ruin my joy because I'm still called and this church is not going to go under no matter what because my call keeps it supernaturally afloat and my faith and your faith we're in this together so I'm not upset with anybody if you hear if you feel ire it's the Holy Ghost that's trying to communicate he communicated about Nehemiah on April 28th he communicated on, on Wednesday June 16th about Romans 111 and he's communicated tonight and and on my last statement and it is my last statement it well, I haven't said that I'm trying to just stop lying I say I'm last and then I never do but this is my last statement because I'm not gonna lie this is my last statement the Lord said to me I have given you three scriptures tonight because I said out of the mouth of two or three let every word be established and listen and he paused I thought he was done and then he said and I have warned the people now three times April 28th under a special anointing under a mandate anointing April 28th June 16th and July 15th he said, I've given you three scriptures, and I've warned them three times. So that's all he said. He may have me warn again, but I highly doubt it, because when God talks to me like that, it means it's over. It means I'm not warning them anymore. If they play games and if they make excuses, they're going to open a door for the devil to come into their life. That's not manipulation. That's not fear. I'm not fear-mongering. I'm simply saying, if you dishonor God, you can't expect him to bless you. You can't expect him to protect you. You can't expect things to go right in your life because you're dishonoring him and disobeying him. And all your excuses ain't going to cut it. You're going to stand before Jesus one day and he said, I told you, Pastor, what to tell you. You didn't listen to him because you thought you were smarter. So you, I leave it to the people. I leave it to the people. I'm not pressuring. I'm leaving it. But he said, I've given three warnings and I've given you three scriptures tonight. That probably means I'm not going to talk about this again. Okay? In terms of, I don't know if everybody's watched it, so I might have to shorten this into a 15-minute announcement and give the scriptures over the next couple of Sundays because I need people to hear it. And when I tell people, could you watch Wednesday night? They don't. So I'm going to have to repeat this final warning a couple times but not in the length and the depth that I did tonight but it has to be spoken a couple more times because God's warning people three times and that's it yeah. are you with me all yes, sir. open the gates please open the gates open the gates promise of life is open for business get somebody talk to them about Jesus invite them to come pray pray sign up and start praying for hunger and responding I'm telling you, we're going to turn this around. And I hold you, Father, I hold you to your word. I hold you to your word. Pastor Cody spoke under the inspiration of the Spirit, and he said the momentum that has been lost will come back and it will be as it was before. I hold you to that word. And Pastor Ike, you did it out of two witnesses to establish it. And Pastor Ike said, the enemy, like those prophets of Baal, have had their time. And you've been patient. And don't let it bother you because it didn't bother Elijah because you're about to have your time and the power of God's about to flow. So, Father, I hold you to those words. And I thank you, Father, that you are working on the hearts of the people watching. And, Lord, that you'll touch their hearts, that hunger will burn and a thirst will grow like never before. That they'd be more thirsty than they were before COVID. That they'd be more hungry than they were in before 2020. That, Lord, a supernatural hunger will come back to your people. That we would be hot and not cold. That we would not disgust you but please you. I'm asking for it, Father. You know I'm black and white, Father. You know I can't take this lukewarm nonsense. I got the, I, I'm all in. They've got to be all in with me. I can't abide weakness. I can't abide excuses. I'm looking for soldiers. I'm looking for mighty men. We've got to take the land. We've got a revival ahead of us. Let's cast off the shackles of COVID. Let's cast off it. Let's cast it off in Jesus' name. And let's strengthen our hand in God and let's sacrifice for him and pray and seek his face with all our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name. I thank you, Father, for it and I praise you. I give you glory. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, and amen.